All right, let's start with a victory lap. We said... Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond, the song, was not a conservative anthem, not a liberal song of the downtrodden working class. It was an Appalachian song, which means it doesn't really fit into either the liberal or the conservative camps. Of course, uh, conservatives claimed it as their own. Liberals took that to mean it was terrible. And what was the number one question at the first Republican presidential primary debate? Why is this song so great? And Anthony, the songwriter and singer from West Virginia, had something to say about being featured in that debate. Here's what he had to say. It was funny seeing my song in the presidential debate. Because it's like, I wrote that song about those people, you know? So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. But it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. That song is written about the people on the on that stage and a lot more too, not just them, but but definitely them. Called it. How did I know that? How did I know that he wasn't going to be happy about that? Because here at the Compass of Power, we say place is politics, and in that spirit, today we take up the breakout star from that very debate, Vivek Ramaswamy, or when he is spitting bars, Davek. He's a hoot. And he's from the same cultural group as Anthony, that red-bearded bard of the backwoods. is Vivek Ramaswamy? That's a question you can find a million articles right now with that as the headline. And it's a fun question because just a few weeks ago, he was basically a novelty candidate, sort of the same political category as Democrats Marianne Williamson and Robert Kennedy the 24th. Now he's number three in the polls for the Republican nomination for president in the 2024 race. Donald Trump is still the way out leader, but Ramaswamy has been gaining a number two contender, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Professionally, let's say professionally, Ramaswamy is a financier. He moves money around. A lot of the articles you'll see or uh, uh, profiles of him describe him as a, quote, biotech executive or something like that. But I don't think that is what he does. That's not, doesn't really carry the right meaning. He's not a doctor. He's not a chemist. He's not a researcher. He creates corporations, rich people invest in those corporations, then he profits off of that capital investment. He sells his stake. It's like magic. The key here is that Ramaswamy makes a living by reading what people want then serving up a product that meets the need. And in his case, uh, what he serves up is not for sale in the stores. It's open for investment. Let's go uh, first, though, to the most important question in politics. Where are you from, Ramaswamy? Cincinnati, Ohio. Most people will talk about a politician's governing philosophy, what they believe government should or should not do. With Ramaswamy, uh, they may talk up his personal biography because it's pretty interesting. He's the child of immigrants from southern India. Uh, they might talk up his background as someone who claims to have made millions before he even graduated from Ivy League schools. And he went to uh, both Yale and Harvard. But here, on the Compass of Power, we say you are where you are from. And he is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio, in the, you know, I guess in the mindset, when I think of Ohio, and I live on the West Coast, it's sort of in this big lump, and, and it's always lumped in there with 
Iowa for some reason, probably because there's four letters. I don't know. Uh, but it's, I've seen it described as a Midwestern state. When you look at it on the map, for those of us who don't live anywhere near there, it is right up against Pennsylvania, which I think all of us think of as being one of the original 13 colonies, definitely the East Coast, and Kentucky, which I think a lot of people think of as the South. It's really in this borderland between the oldest old part of America and the South, between the North and the South, the East and the Midwest. Uh, and in the North, because we go by cultural groups here, who founded what area and how does their culture persist, especially how does that political culture persist? In the North of Ohio, you have Yankees. In the middle, you have the Midlanders. Conveniently, those are the folks that came out of uh, the Philadelphia area, the Quakers, that moved due west from uh, Pennsylvania. And in the south, you have the Appalachians. The Appalachians are the same people who are in West Virginia or in Western Virginia. They are the same people in all of Kentucky, in Tennessee. You know the type. And remember that Cincinnati is actually right across the border from Kentucky. So think about what you think about Kentucky with bourbon and bluegrass and cigars and horse racing. And Cincinnati's right there. Um, now, Appalachians, as I always explain, are two things. One, they are loathed by the other cultures in the United States historically. They just, they are the crackers, the hillbillies, the rednecks. Um, they are the descendants, some of them literally are the descendants of the Scotch-Irish settlers that came in from the borderlands. They skipped over the eastern seaboard because that was already occupied when they came in right around the time of the American Revolution, headed straight for the hills and lived their own personal lifestyle out there. But because they were seen as uncivilized or violent, uh, uncouth, they've uh, kind of been downplayed throughout American history. Now, as we're going to see with Ramaswamy, it does not matter to me or to anyone else what your actual like genetic ethnicity is. Once you grow up in a place, you start to absorb that culture. That's the great American story, right? People from all over the world come here and they move and they become Americans. Well, that's true on the macro level of the United States of America. And it's true on the micro level of like, no matter where your parents are from, if they raise you in Cincinnati, you grow up as a Cincinnatian, question mark, definitely as an Appalachian. And the Greater Appalachia, as that area is defined, is the most populous cultural group in the United States. That's why we talk about it all the time. That's why I think politics are a little unsteady right now because people, A, don't really recognize this cultural model, and they sure as heck don't realize that there's more of those people, those redheaded stepchildren to say, uh, to keep that theme going, than there are of everybody else. I don't mean like combined. I just mean like the biggest group. All right. Important for us to understand when we're talking about presidential politics and leadership is that Appalachian leaders don't champion the people. They are the people's champion. Uh, and here's an example of what I mean by that. A historian, David Hacker Fisher, wrote a remarkable study of the four foundational American cultures uh, called Albion Seed. And this was early groundwork in the 80s that laid the... Uh, seedbed, shall we say, <laughs> of the later book, uh, American Nations, which defined like 11 major cultural groups, now expanded to 13, but that's what we always use. Anyway, 1989, historian Fisher writes this about leaders in the Appalachian culture. 
The politics of the backcountry consisted mainly of charismatic leaders and personal followings, cemented by strong and forceful acts. The rhetoric that these leaders used sometimes sounded democratic, but it was easily misunderstood by those who were not part of this folk culture. The Jacksonian movement was a case in point. To Easterners, Andrew Jackson looked and sounded like a Democrat. But in his own culture, his rhetoric had a very different function. Historian Thomas Abernathy observes that Andrew Jackson never championed the cause of the people. He merely invited the people to champion him. That is to say that in this culture, which we often define as a warrior culture that prizes winning, that prizes bravery and uh, combat, that in this culture, you go out there and you win, and when you win, you're like, now you can, you can join my team. It is not, I will stand up for these people, it's, I am a winner. You can join me. And that's how Donald Trump worked. He is a fighter. His base believes he is a winner. He says the word win all the time. Even when he loses presidential elections, he says that he won. And I have often said that... Donald Trump's secret to get surprise win in 2016 is that although he's a New Yorker, New Yorkers are famous for their tough talk, and he immediately read that he was getting a huge response from this, this culture in uh, the United States, the Appalachian culture, and that the more he talked about fighting, the more he talked about winning, the more that these people who were otherwise being ignored were loving him. Uh, today, fellow New Netherlands person, if we're going to use the correct term for that culture around New York City, uh, is former New Jersey governor Chris Christie. He also talks tough. Listen to that guy. He's famous for his tough talk. He'll tough talk. I saw a video of him like trashing somebody at a baseball game recently. He just like comes back over, leans in the guy's face and tells him how it is. But Chris Christie attacks Trump. And so in that first presidential debate, Trump wasn't there to be attacked by Chris Christie. Enter Ramaswamy, who fills the role of Trump when Trump is not there. He kind of like does the same thing, even as he carves out space for himself as the man who could maybe beat Trump. He doesn't quite say that. And he does all of this by appealing to the Appalachian philosophy, absolute personal freedom, including freedom from government intervention or social censure. That strain of American uh, freedom, that conception of what it means to be free is often called libertarianism. No rules, not like literally no rules, anarchy, but very, very little intervention by anybody. Ramaswamy, turns out, voted for a libertarian in 2004, but didn't vote in several presidential elections later. He supported both Democrats and Republicans, something that he has in common with Donald Trump. And he broke into conservative circles. He suddenly became known as a conservative with a book called Woke Incorporated, criticizing what's essentially the Yankee model of corporate social justice. The Yankees are the left wing of American politics, and they prize moral righteousness. They are the descendants of the Puritans, as we know. And what Ramaswamy did is say, look at what they're doing, because there's a lot of big business in Yankeedom with all this wokeism and all this concern about social justice. Uh, and by taking that on, he became a hero to a certain conservatives. And again, tapping into his ability to create products that meet demand, he created an investment fund, specially designed to counter social socially aware investments. And I forget the term, was it ESG or something? There's a term for this in the stock 
business and the investing circles. But sometimes, like, I don't know, retired teachers will pressure their pension fund. Like, don't invest in places, uh, in companies that are terrible. I don't need that. If they mistreat their workers, if they exploit the earth, that sort of thing. They want some sort of social connection there. Well, Ramaswamy invented a free market forever kind of firm based in Ohio that said, we will never, ever do that. The bottom line is the bottom line. That's all that matters. That's what we're supposed to do as investors. And of course, he made a lot of money doing that. Lots of people invested in that product. And it's very similar to what he did with some of his original companies. Um, he started one called Royvant, as in R-O-I, as in return on investment vaunt. And the idea was to go right after profits, right? No detours, uh, straight ahead. His companies, so the idea is that they buy medical patents from other companies and that haven't really been brought to market. They haven't worked quite properly. This whatever, I don't know. Johnson & Johnson has a patent on a vaccine for the common cold, but it's gone nowhere. Well, Royvant comes in, buys that patent, and then promises, we're going to work through this process, get it to the market, and make the money. And just like Donald Trump's real estate properties, that company didn't need to actually make money, didn't need to actually get things to the market. It just needed to attract investors. That's what... Um, Ramaswamy made money off of. Now, I, don't, I did not track down what happened to every single patent any of them took out, but I know at least, I think at least one of them was never approved by the FDA and ended up losing money, but not, that was downstream from when Ramaswamy made his money. And Royvant had spinoffs like Dermavant, focused on dermatology, Eurovant, focused on urological disease, and Sinovant, focused on making money in China. And those attracted money from people who thought that they would make money. Whether or not some new medicine actually reached like sick people somewhere. And I feel like Ramaswamy the candidate is a personal version of that same phenomenon. I'm sure he's not really thinking in these terms. I mean, we are a rarity here to think in cultural regional terms. Uh, but... He instinctively, like Donald Trump, knows there's a major market in politics for a hard-charging insider who's willing to fight for particular views. That market is called Greater Appalachia. Now, you'll see, Donald Trump is often described as being attractive to uh, the same group because he's a political outsider, or at least he was in 2016. No one who's been president is a political outsider anymore. But the truth is that his core base didn't see him as an outsider goes back to that talk about like how outsiders misunderstand how Appalachian leaders work. Well, in greater Appalachia, they see Washington, D.C. and its denizens as outsiders. That's what the whole song Rich Men North of Richmond is about, these outsiders controlling us. So someone like Trump, who intuits that these folks want to have a champion, they go out there and they battle DC and these other outsiders, and that makes them a hero, an insider to the Appalachians. It makes you one of us. That's classic for the culture. Ramaswamy understands this on some level. There is a market for the hard charging, call it like I see it, insider, champion of the people, and he is filling it. And he's getting more famous and even richer at the same time he's doing it. It works out for him. I think we can sum up his uh, political views with his uh, slogan, truth. <laughs> it's, 
It's a great political slogan, truth. And there's a period at the end of that truth period. Uh, and he takes a banner with him around to primary events, uh, which has some basic statements, which are also his closing statement at the Republican debate. So let's hear the uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, view. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to man. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. And so forth. It, it goes on. There's something in there about the nuclear family being the greatest uh, form of government ever. I don't know. You get the idea. The guy, I think, has a knack for making statements that probably a majority of Americans would agree with at some level. And he says those as if he was boldly speaking truth, trademark, to power. Um, now, to be fair, there's lots of people that would have a problem with each and every one of those statements. Lots of people. But if you're actually going to fight about, hey, there's more than two genders, you are not voting in the Republican primary, I am sure. Which is to say that I think Ramaswamy likes to pick fights even when he's not way far out there. And there is absolutely a base in the Republican Party for that kind of fighter. He has a lane. It's a big lane. It is called the Appalachian Lane. And he understands that lane because he's from it. He's from that culture and he can speak to it. Uh, compare his Cincinnati style to that governor from North Dakota. Um, oh, what is his name? I'll look it up. But he's a entrepreneur. He made a lot of money investing in computers and a software technology, et cetera, et cetera. A tech person himself. But no one, I can't even remember his name. No one knows his name outside of North Dakota because he's a Yankee and he's not that memorable, right? Um, Ramaswamy, I guess in some way is a novelty act, but I don't think we can dismiss him just as like an interesting character. This race is interesting character. Uh, you know, I've seen, I think Matthew Iglesias said, well, the, all the coverage of Ramaswamy shows that journalists are bored with the race and they just want something to cover. I don't think that's true. I think that Ramaswamy really is in that lane with Donald Trump. He is playing to the same cultural rule book and he has, he has some things to do. He can gain some traction. He has gone up in the polls. I just don't see how he takes out Trump. Who's already got that lane kind of locked down. I mean, I think a lot of people have already said this, but it seems like Trump has to take himself out. Something terrible has to happen to Trump because as long as he doesn't look like he's lost, and, you know, clearly he's lost a few rounds, but not in a way that's like really cut into his base. I don't know how you topple him from inside the Appalachian culture. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, they are all from the deep Southern culture, the deep South. Um, and maybe they can use that to roll Trump over. Um, but I'm not sure how Ramaswamy can be like so awesomely... Appalachian that he can get that vote without clearing out the other guy. I mean, it's, this is straight out of mythology, guys. If you want to be the king, you're going to have to take out the king. And I don't know how he does that, but he is a hoot and a half right now as he occupies that space because there's certainly 
first of all, that culture demands a certain amount of provocation. Um, Mitch McConnell is another famous uh, politician from the Appalachian culture, and he is hard charging to say the least. But here's a guy where, you know, people are starting to circle because he seems to have had some medical problems. And, you know, it's like, you know, the king doesn't look so good. Maybe if I bump him while he's by the stairs, this will all be over and I'll be in charge. And, uh, you know, I don't think Trump's that close to the stairs yet. Still, he's enjoyable and he raps people. He raps. So put that in the record books. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. I got to go. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Remember, this is the true path to enlightenment. Uh, Maybe. Or at least it's eh, it's a fun path to be on. 